What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book, third edition coming very soon. All right. Well, continuing on this theme, this week's episode, similarly like last week's, uh, I don't have a, a special guest. Well, I have many special guests, I suppose, because I asked for your questions, whatever question you have, whether it's super personal to where you're at in your career or a broad stroke question about the music industry. And I got a ton that came through and uh, we had to split this up into two parts and I'm still not going to get to everybody's questions, but I really appreciate everyone sending in the questions that you have. Maybe we'll do more of these. And uh, speaking of which, if you would like to submit a question in the future, uh, when I do this again, make sure you're on the email list. That's where I took the questions. All you have to do is go to ariestake.com, get on that email list. And uh, next time we do this, you can send in your question and I'll most likely get to it. All right. And as always, please like, subscribe, uh, hit that follow button for the show. Leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Those help for sure. Follow us at Ari's Take on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find me at Ari Herstan on Twitter and Instagram. And um, leave us a comment. I love reading the comments. If you're on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. And uh, if you have a question, you can pop it in the YouTube comments as well. I'll try to get back to you there too. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. All right, let's kick into it. Question number one for this week comes from Timothy Oynes, solo pianist from the Twin Cities. Ah, my former home. What's up, Timothy? Okay, his question is, What is the process involved of recording my own arrangements of famous pieces when it comes to copyrights and royalties and all that? For example, if I record and sell recordings of my own improvised piano arrangements of pieces popularized by Andrew Lloyd Webber, love him, I was in Jesus Christ Superstar, by the way, uh, many moons ago, Barbara Streisand, songs from Les Mis, etc. All right, great question, Timothy. Here's how it works. Um, So... If you're sticking close to uh, the original, more or less, um, that can still technically be considered a cover song. That's the easiest way to go about it. Uh, You don't need permission to release your own uh, cover songs. Uh, If the song has already been released, which all these have been, uh, you can release a cover and you can distribute that cover. Now, if you're releasing it for streaming only, uh, you don't actually need to get the compulsory mechanical license uh, which has always been the um, the process which you're supposed to do in the past, and in some cases you still need to do, which a lot of people think you got to go to Harry Fox, the um, song license for that, or you can go to Easy Song License for that, or there's a, some distributors handle it, like DistroKid handles it right in their service. You can just select it and pay for that license. Um, 
But that was only for downloads. That was only for sales, believe it or not. If you're releasing it streaming only, you mean like you exclude the download sites. Uh, the streaming services are supposed to handle it themselves. Now, you can let them know that this is a cover song, and they'll pay the publishers directly. You don't need to pay for a compulsory mechanical license. Now, that being said, if you are going to sell it, you do need to get that mechanical license. You can get it from easysong.com. You can get it from Songfile. Uh, or, like I said, some of the distributors handle it. Um, now, you will make the master royalties for that because you own the master recording because you're recording. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. Now, for sales, if you're selling physical product like a vinyl record or a CD or something like that, then yes, technically, you are legally in the States required to pay the publishers. Uh, the current rate is 9.1 cents. Next year, it's going up to 12 cents per sale. So you'd have to do that math. But now most things are through streaming. The streaming services are paying the publishers for covers. Now, if you're doing a dramatic uh, arrangement, maybe a medley or something that is pretty far from the original, that's technically considered a derivative work. That requires a new copyright. Uh, that requires permission from the original publishers and the original songwriter because it is a derivative work. You're significantly changing it. And you need to get permission. Now, easysong.com can help you do that if you think it is significant enough. But if you're not a superstar and this is not making massive waves, honestly, my recommendation, this is not legal advice, but my recommendation is call it a cover song, release the cover song. It's all pretty subjective these days anyways. And then you can just kind of move forward. Don't bog yourself down in the details. Get it out. All right, next question comes from, uh, let's see here, Mikola Basiuk, sound producer of uh, Nizna and Sandra Grace from Ukraine. Oh, wow. Uh, well, first off, Mikola, um, I hope you are staying safe. I am sending all of my love and thoughts uh, to you and everyone in your country. I'm so... I, we. We're just sending all the good vibes your way. I was so awful what's happening to you and your country and your people. And we, uh, our hearts and our solidarity is with you um, and your country. And uh, I hope that um, this horrible, horrible situation, conflict, um, and assault on you and your people uh, ends very, very soon. Okay, uh, your question, Mikola. Uh, hello, what could an artist do if they are in a country like Ukraine? There's no Kickstarter, no music on Instagram. TikTok is not showing to the globe, to locals only. Music is English, and people are listening in their native language songs. Um, yeah, in in uh, English. Okay, well, great question, uh, Mikola. And this, this can actually... Um, so... What I would do is, is first off, follow the recommendations um, for um, the playlist pitching for uh, Spotify official playlist editors. And what they recommend is uh, submitting the song for distribution at least four weeks in advance. And you can, um, you can um, then, once it's queued up in the back end of... Um, Spotify, you'll see it there. You can pitch it to the editors. Now, uh, the fact that uh, you are in Ukraine, 
Um, this can work to your benefit, believe it or not, um, even if you're singing in English or even if there's a mixture or wherever you are, whether this is uh, in a different country and you're listening to this right now, uh, give all the most pertinent information in the pitching tool in the back end um, because this is going to uh, actually ping some of the editors that are represent different parts of the world, different countries. Uh, mention, here's here's a big playlist pitching tool. And uh, we learned this when on my interview with Sam from Spotify during the Spotify interview on this show. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check out the Spotify interview. Um, put some relevant playlists that you think you can, uh, you would fit on. And you know, some that are popular in uh, your region of the world and ones that you like or that yeah, you're interested in. And and check out, you know, uh, Apple and Amazon's recommendations as well. Um, they they have some uh, – Amazon has playlists and pitching as, as well. You can check that out. Um, but above all, um, yes, I would – so you're saying – when you say TikTok's not showing to the globe to locals only – um, they do uh, kind of yes and no. They they do typically show it to the region that you're in based on location. However, I would experiment with hashtags. And sometimes if you hashtag a certain other region or you tag a certain artist that is similar to you, um, it will grow it that way. But this can also work with um, you doing kind of some direct outreach um, through other social other social media, um, you know, like Instagram and YouTube and linking up with other similar artists or even on SoundCloud and finding some artists to do collaborations with. Um, pick some artists that are uh, that inspirations to you anywhere in the world and DM them. Tell them you're in Ukraine and uh, you'd love their work and would like to do a collaboration and maybe they're a producer and you're a singer or maybe... Uh, you know, you, the producer and they're a singer, or maybe, you know, they rap on a verse or something like that, but work with collaborations. Cause then when you release that song, that's a collab and you're both the artists listed there. So you're going to reach both of your audiences that way. Just some ideas for you. Okay. Next question comes from Colette, um, Colette com and from New York city and Colette's question is, I've got about two albums worth of music. I need to release one. But one of the things I'm hung up on is, do I want to release it under my own name or create an artist act name? Any pros and cons for either are appreciated for background. I already have an established creative career under my own name, but it has nothing to do with my weird sense of humor. So I'm kind of torn. Great question, Colette. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, if you're going to release music that is dramatically different from um, stuff, an artist uh, brand that you've already established, or if you already have an artist profile um, on DSPs, the streaming services, and uh, you're starting a new project or you're you're creating music that is dramatically different from that, um, I would completely rebrand. Choose a new artist name and um, and and release it under that because that you get to create a whole artist persona and an artist world, um, and you can package it and it's and it's 
Um, you don't have to feel like it's tied to you as a person and it has to be about your uh, personality or anything like that. You can create a character for this. So uh, just in general, it, you know, it's better t- to create uh, distinct standalone projects that have a, uh, a cohesive identity than to try to mash all of your uh, inspiration and all of your um, influences into under one umbrella of a project because it's going to be really challenging for people to get who you are if they're just jumping in. And you'll, I know people are going to throw at me, well, what about, you know, Dylan evolved over the years. He did a country album and folk and rock. And it's like, okay, you know, the Beatles evolved, the Beach Boys, blah, 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 you know, yeah. But they started with one album that was cohesive and they started with an identity and they started with a brand and every artist starts that way. Every artist can evolve. Boney Vare is a great example more recently. Uh, started with a super, super stripped acoustic album and he evolved that sound. Um, now, it's still within that realm. Justin Vernon also performs uh, in other projects and uh, lends itself to projects under Justin Vernon versus Bon Iver because that's a distinct identity. So it's more than just the music. It's a full-on identity and uh, the aesthetic and the story and what is this project about. It's like how... Um, uh, Father John Misty started as uh, Tillman, uh, and he um, what was his what was his name? Um, uh, John jo- that's it. Joshua Tillman. Josh Tillman uh, started as uh, Josh Tillman, then became Father John Misty. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can separate yourself. There's there's plenty of examples. I mean, uh, so many artists. Uh, don't go by their own names, even if they're solo artists, because it it helps you create an artistic identity that can separate from yourself. Now, that being said, you know, I performed as a singer-songwriter under my own name for many years, um, and as myself, as Ari Herstand, um, releasing music under Ari Herstand, it's still an identity, and, you know, you when you're in the promotional place of um, that record release you get very specific and you hone in on what your story is for this album and what the you know what the story is you want to tell about the artist for this one album which will evolve and it can change and uh but it's very confusing for people if uh they have to try to uh, differentiate between your metal project and your hip hop, and and they're listening, and and on one album or one release, or you know, at one point, it's like you're seven different genres and all over the place, and your Instagram is like all different in- inspirations, and it, it just it it's hard for somebody to latch on to that project as an artist, um, you know, and as you become more established, then you can do a bunch of projects. I mean, there are fans of uh. Jack White, there are fans of the White Stripes, there are fans of um there are fans of uh what is it, Dead Weather, um that you know, maybe don't like the White Stripes, but they like Dead Weather. Uh they like so you don't have to be um you know, same with uh there's a lot of people that can be fans of one person's project and not 
the other. And that's just kind of how it goes. Um, and help them out. So separate it. And now when it comes to sync licensing, even more so, uh, you have to absolutely make sure you're separating that because a music supervisor or a sync agent or someone's going to want to know that, oh, you're the acoustic girl. You're the one that does quirky, upbeat, acoustic songs, so they're going to come to you for that. If you can do hardcore metal as well, that's too confusing for them. They're like, oh, Colette does acoustic, quirky songs. Um, They're not going to think of you when they need a hardcore metal song. But if you're working with a sync agent, you work with them, brand a whole new project as your hardcore metal project, and uh, then they'll know to come to the uh, the calm the calm sisters for their hardcore metal or whatever the grunge punk band that they need or or anything like that. The calm sisters will do that, and then Colette Calm is uh, the singer songwriter or something like that. I hope that helped. All right. This comes from Chairman George, world music artist from Ottawa, Canada. Is the best way to build an email list by running a squeeze page with a free offer incentive through a Facebook ad? Okay, for those of you who don't know what a squeeze page is, uh, it's essentially a landing page with an email sign up. Usually you can offer them an incentive like sign up. Get four unreleased songs or get uh, a new song that's, uh, you know, or get a demo or get an unreleased thing or get, uh, you know, VIP tickets to my next show or get thrown into a lottery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can come up with various incentives to get somebody on your email list. Um, Sure. I mean, I always encourage everyone to build their email list, build their SMS, uh, you know, texting list. You need a list that you own versus just trying to rent your fans to social media. Um, so however you get that list, the better, uh, you know, Bandcamp, fortunately, uh, they give you the email of every person who buys your record from Bandcamp or supports you in any way in Bandcamp, you get that email. Bandcamp also has a way for you to message those people directly in app, which is super helpful. Um, but honestly, I think the best way to get it, if you're a live artist, if you're performing at shows, get it at the show. Now, don't just have a clipboard or an iPad or whatever at the merch table. Uh, actually make it a moment during the show where in the between songs, say, all right, everyone pull out your phone. Okay, I know we don't typically like phones out of concerts. Thank you for not having them out. But right now is the one moment. So get your phone out. Text. Uh, text. Chairman George. Text George to... Three three seven seven seven, and then you're gonna get this next song that you can listen to on the drive home. It's not released. It's uh, an acoustic version, but it's just for you right now. And I'll let you know the next time I'm coming to play. Now, if you have a hundred people in that audience, you just got a hundred phone numbers, and now you can text them anytime that you have a show coming up or a new song that's out. And that is, you just got a hundred way more easier than having to run ads and you know uh, incentives and all that stuff because like. I find it really challenging to run uh, Facebook ads or any ads, TikTok, Instagram, all that stuff, um, and trying to get people on your email list from a what's called a cold audience. If they don't know anything about you, why would they give you their email? Even if you're promising them the world <laughs> when it comes to like a new song, who cares? Why are they going to care? They can go stream you or whatever. They've never heard of you. Why would they want? You know, it's hard to find an incentive that's attractive to a cold audience, a new audience. Um, so I, I don't really run, I don't even 
you know, doing the whole run Facebook ads or any kind of ads to get an email from that. That's a that's a really challenging way to go about it. Um, if someone is already familiar with you and they're already fans, then yes, try any way possible, get them on your list. And there's ways to go about that, um, incentivizing them, you know. Um, you know, through your link and bio with an Instagram or anything like that, uh, offering incentives that way, definitely. But running ads uh, to a cold audience, I mean, that's a, a little bit more challenging and it's going to be quite costly for the return that you're going to get. Okay. This one comes from John Carter from uh, Logan, Utah. Okay. John, I have written piano or excuse me, I've written music, piano, violin, cello, that I would like to use as an underscore for a personal project. It would be a great, it would be great in a library. Do I have to pass on my personal project if I submit it to an exclusive library? Um, so I think you're talking like a, a music uh, sync licensing library. Uh, for those of you that don't know what uh, uh, music like sync libraries are, there's kind of uh, these are uh, there are companies out there where they have hundreds or thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands of songs that are already pre-cleared, and uh, someone can go into this and you can grab music uh, for smaller projects, wedding videos, that kind of stuff, and they pay a license fee, hundred bucks, couple hundred bucks, whatever. In-house corporate training videos, you know, they they pay basically they're they're uh, getting these licenses legally that they can use for smaller things. Sometimes, you know, uh, music supervisors will go to libraries if they need uh, cheaper music for, you know, a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or something like that to use in a bar scene in the background. And so it can get placed on TV. Uh, usually the sync fees are, are much smaller. Uh, but that's what that's what kind of libraries offer. Uh, some are hybrid sync agencies, sync libraries that, you know, they do some pitching uh, for bigger projects, ad campaigns, that kind of stuff. Um it's all going to vary on the contract, but uh, I every artist that works deeply in sync that I know of, um, you know, they can carve that out. And most sync agencies or even libraries, it's not you, the person. It's not like a record deal where you, uh, the you know, you John Carter um, have to sign over. That's that's what an exclusive publishing agreement would be. It's like every song that John Carter writes over the next three years, you have to it, Sony ATV owns or whatever. That that's like that's a publishing agreement. Sync libraries, even sync agencies, you can carve that out. You, it's essentially whatever songs you send them. That's what they're going to uh, exclusively represent. Not not anything you don't send them. This one comes from Tariq in LA. I just completed an album that I put my heart and soul into but need help figuring out what the singles should be and what order I should put the songs in. Are there people or a group of people or a website that can help? My friends are turds and I question their taste. <laughs> oh, Tariq. I feel you. Yes, I... Uh, you know, one of my best friends, this pains me to, to admit this, but one of my best friends since I was 12 does not care for my music. Um, his music taste also very questionable. So uh, I, I hear you. All right. Well, yes, there are fortunately services out there you can use. Um, TuneCore has a service called Fan Reviews. You can use that even if you don't distribute through TuneCore. You can pay 
hundred bucks or something and get, I think like 40, uh, random people that, uh, will essentially listen to the song and fill out a questionnaire on that. That's a, that's an interesting tool to use. Um, and that can definitely help you figure out the singles. I, I would, I would check into that, that service, uh, first. Um, there's, there's a couple other ones out there. Um, I don't remember, I'll have to look into, um, them, but if you know, if you're listening to this and you know of other sites out there, shoot me an email and uh, I'd love to, uh, I shouldn't, I would love to know more about these. I used to know a lot more, but they kind of come and go and they die and, uh, they become less popular and that kind of stuff. All right. This one comes from, uh, John Dope. All right. I maybe that's your real name. <laughs> He's in the Midwest. All right, let's say I have 10 songs ready, recorded, produced, mixed and mastered. I want the world to hear them and make money in the process. I don't want to perform live, just publish. What is Ari's 2022 take on my next step? Specifically, can you speak about Spotify and YouTube as it's as it stands? Uh it sounds like that there's some people making money. Which resources on your website or elsewhere, would you recommend to use to learn how to build a plan to publish these songs? What are the platforms, avenues beyond Spotify and YouTube you'd consider key? Okay. Well, 2022, where we're at in 2022, um, I don't know if you've heard of this uh, this little social platform that is uh, hip with the kids called TikTok, but <laughs> TikTok is the most uh, powerful promotional tool the music industry has ever seen. Free, mind you, promotional tool. Uh, so don't neglect it. You mentioned Spotify and YouTube. Uh, TikTok should be at the top of that list. Uh, you can find a niche. There's an audience. There's an audience for everybody there. There's a billion users on it. So um, that should be in every musician's arsenal at this point. Um, you know, you don't have to be an influencer. You don't have to be a creator. But uh, everyone can find a way to use it in uh, some capacity. Now, um, you know, Yes, you don't, you know, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, Instagram. I mean, there are the, these are all tools. These are all outlets. These are all ways people are consuming uh, music right now and content. So, and so some of these platforms can help you tell your story, like YouTube and TikTok um, and Instagram. These, these are platforms that can help you tell your story of like who you are as the artist. What are you about? What do you stand for? What do you like? What do you dislike? This is how fans are going to connect to you. Now, you have music to go, ready to go. You don't want to perform live. Well, the recommendation right now is to release a song a month. That's what you should be doing, putting out music regularly. So you got 10 songs over the next 10 to 12 months. Release a song every four to six weeks. Uh, submit it for uh, submit it to the Spotify playlist editorial every release. Hop into Spotify for artists. Put in that in the back end. Pitch the song for for playlist consideration every release. Um, look into get your song on Vivo, not just YouTube. And uh, a lot of distributors will help you get your song on Vivo, or you can hit up Vivo for artists, and they can help you get your song in there. Uh, that's a whole other avenue that can that you can help, not just YouTube. Um, and I would just start releasing music regularly, and you can build that identity through social platforms as well. All right, thanks, John. 
quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service, for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have... have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for 100 grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and you get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, they also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used and it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register you with SoundExchange. And they have a fraud prevention tool. And they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. This one comes from Alan in Toronto. All right, here we go. I'd like to ask with a use case. Say that I'm an aspiring artist, artist in the closet, that aims to start a musical project from scratch and go ahead and compose, record, and produce an album using several instruments for multiple songs. Say I'm ready to release the album and get out there, start performing locally, and eventually travel to other cities. My question regards session musicians. Should I, A, take a step back before performing the content of the album, find session musicians, and record with them, thus sharing a portion of the mechanical royalties? That is not a correct use of the term mechanical royalties. I'm going to stop right there. And we're going to explain. I'll get into that in a second. Let me finish this question. This is a long question. Find session musicians just for performing. Sharing a portion of the live performance. Also, I'm aware the strategy converge on the arrogant and that there's a risk uh, in not finding people that want to play in such a man-flying solo act. Another risk I'm aware of is recording and producing a shitty album by doing everything myself. Are there other risks you can identify? Thanks for the space. Uh, okay. All right, Alan. I understand your question. First off, everybody listen up. 
Mechanical royalties. I don't know why this term gets thrown around as much as it does. I think because it sounds special or like you think you're, you sound smart when you throw around mechanical royalties because like it sounds like, like, I don't know. There's a lot of terms and mechan- it's mechanical royalties sounds like really interesting. Like, stop using <laughs> mechanical royalties as a term if you don't know what it means. Um, no offense, Alan. This is just to everybody. Uh, let me explain what mechanical royalties actually means. There are two types of publishing royalties out there from streaming. Performance royalties, mechanical royalties. So this is only for publishing and publishing means songwriting. So only for the people that wrote the song. So in your instance, um, if musicians record on your record, they don't get mechanical royalties. They don't get publishing royalties. So mechanical or or performance royalties. Um, they honestly, most session players don't get any royalties uh, other than maybe some neighboring rights uh sound recording performance royalties, which come from uh, like radio, digital radio in the States. Uh, but that's, you don't pay that out. That's paid out by the fund, um, not through sound exchange. Some people think it's sound exchange, but it's paid out through the fund. Uh, the SAG-AFTRA um, AFM fund, you don't have to be in the union to get that money. But if you're a backup musician, you can get it there. But again, these are not mechanical royalties. I know you just probably by accident you're like mechanical limited but i just need to explain this for some reason mechanical royalties get thrown around way too often um let me answer your question for real though so you're saying should you enlist people to make your recording sound better uh here's the thing you can find talented people to to help you create your record without sharing in royalties, any kind of royalties that you have to pay out. You do you pay them an upfront fee. You pay them a session fee. Here's uh 150 bucks. Play on this, you know, track. Thank you for an hour, whatever. Or here's $500 and you play on a bunch for the day. If you don't have people in town that you know, you can try Sound Better. Uh Sound Better was acquired by Spotify and you can find producers and session musicians or anyone else there uh, that. Now, that being said, I personally do share in some of the master recording royalties. These are, again, not publishing because they didn't write the song. But I I share, I I reserve about 20% of the master royalties that comes from streaming, my distributor, uh, for all the session musicians on the record. Uh, This is not something that's done frequently. Wolfpack does this as well. They, I believe, do it equally. Um, I split up, I get 20% to the players on the record. And uh, I use a distributor that can pay that tw- that can pay out that proper percentage to each person individually, where I don't have to be cutting checks every month because that's a nightmare. So that deals with payment splitting. You want a you want a distributor that deals with payment splitting. How do you find these distributors? Well, some of the more popular ones are DistroKid, uh, Stem, Amuse, uh, Symphonic. I have a whole comparison of the digital distributors on Aristake.com. You can just Google. Ari's take distribution and it'll be the first hit um, of who does payment splitting. But again, you don't have to split any of your royalties with session musicians. Now, I would you should make the best possible record you can possibly make, regardless of who you have to involve for that. So yes, and pay people, hire musicians, hire producers, hire mixing engineers. You don't want to try to do this all on your own. You got to know your strengths and weaknesses. I know my weakness. I am not a recording engineer. I am not going to put out something under my own name uh, that I'm not proud of, and I can't get it to the point 
where I will be proud of it if I try to do it all on my own. Yeah, I have logic. Yeah, I have a couple mics and whatever, and I can like try to track it and I can record demos and stuff, but I'm not going to release a real record under my name. It's not going to be up to my standards. So make something the best you can possibly make it and list the proper people that you need. Okay, I think we got to the question. Ingrid Griffin from LA. Ingrid, what are your thoughts on internships in the music industry while in college? I'm an aspiring singer-songwriter, and I'm wondering if I should be interning at publishing companies, record companies, etc. Any insight for me? All right, Ingrid. Um, yeah, if you want to work in the industry, internships are a fantastic way to get your foot in the door. Most record labels, publishing companies regularly post internships. You can literally just Google this uh, or or honestly, follow all these companies on LinkedIn. And uh, once they post new internships and job openings, you'll get notified about that. Um, if you need a list of the of, you know, record labels, well, uh, Wikipedia has a really good list of all the major record labels. Um, you can you can also Google it. Um, or you can just kind of make a list of maybe 20 of your favorite bands out right now and see what label uh, they represent and, and start there. Uh, indie labels, major, whatever, or publishing companies, the same kind of thing. Um, internship is an excellent way to get your foot in the door uh, if you want to work in the industry. I would I would definitely do that. Um, so... Yeah, that's that's great. That was the, was the question. But I also um, I would also identify, you know, what you want to do. Now, you list that you say that you're an aspiring singer songwriter. Um, so, sure, you know, if you don't necessarily want to work on the business side, I mean, internship is like if you want to start climbing the ladder in the music industry and just like becoming on the business side. Now, as an artist, I don't think honestly that's the best course to grow yourself as an artist because you can kind of get locked in and it's a full-time job you know you're going to be it's going to suck a lot of your creative juices and energies uh, if you're grinding it out uh, at a label working for other artists when you wish you could be working for yourself um so if that's your uh goal like yeah, maybe you can try that, but also you can look at other kinds of jobs uh, that have nothing to do with music that just, uh, you know, uh, pay the bills and keep your mind free to, to leave yourself open for your creative energies to songwrite. Or you can find opportunities like, like working at a label or another company in the industry. This is a great opportunity where you'll build a ton of great connections. And then once you decide... Uh, that you know you have music that you're ready to go and you have all these connections and you can use that to and leverage those connections for your own music as well. So there there's a way. There honestly there's no one direct path way to make this happen. Um, but yes, I I think internships can be great. Okay. Oh, and Ingrid's follow up question. I'm at USC music industry major. What are the three things I should be focusing on in college if I want to be a singer songwriter? Um, Meeting like-minded students, making connections with professors, working with cinema students on music videos. That's a great idea. Playing open mic nights. Thank you. I'm a huge fan of yours. All right. Thanks, Ingrid. Um, okay. Cool. So, um, well, first off, college, I call it the incubation stage. And this is uh, what you should be focusing on if you're a singer-songwriter, honestly, is writing as much as you possibly can. 
you haven't started your career yet, you are in college, uh, it, you should be writing multiple songs a week. Write is my, honestly, my, if there's one thing that I could go back and do when I was in college, uh, it would be write more songs. Uh, your goal should be, you should have, you know, a hundred songs minimum before you leave school, uh, because you're going to think that the songs you have now are your best songs you've ever written. And maybe they might be, but they might not be up to competitive standards right now. And they might not be professional, professional standards, meaning a professional to turn it into an actual professional career um, where you'll get paid for these songs. So write more. You are surrounded by other creative, talented people and, uh, and just keep writing. Now, all the while, Sure, you can be experimenting on social media with your project. You can be growing it, you know, on TikTok, uh, collaborating with other creatives, whether they're, you know, music videos or the film students or whatever. But uh, honestly, hone your craft, become a better writer, collaborate with other musicians, uh, maybe form a band. I mean, you know, uh, one of my favorite groups, Moonchild, they formed at USC. Uh, I think their music majors are something like that. And, uh, and now they're touring the world and, uh, you can do that. Find, find collaborators who you love working with. These, these could be lifelong relationships and friendships. Uh, that's one of the best parts about college. Um, and so I would really, you know, don't worry so much about the business right now. Uh, this is the incubation stage. You should be spending as much of your time writing, uh, as you can and collaborating and finding collaborators. Josh Rose from North Hollywood. How do you provide value as a songwriter through platforms like TikTok when sharing your music only gets you so far and without getting pigeonholed as an educator or as a song review guy? Well, Josh, uh, shameless plug. We I literally just got off um, a Zoom with uh, a uh, an artist and label rep from TikTok, and we did a Q&A with her um, with our TikTok for Musician students. So... If you're interested in TikTok as an artist and you want to know how to grow, because like I said, it is the most powerful promotional tool uh, right now, I would highly encourage you to join our TikTok for Musicians course. We step you through start to finish on, on how to do that and leverage TikTok to grow your music career and streaming and all of that stuff. Um, it, it is way too deep right now as a thought to just get into it as a question there. So, so check it out, artistakeacademy.com. Um, also, okay. Emmanuel Brown, uh, hip hop R and B artist from Seattle, Washington. What is your take on the value of being verified on social media versus having solid connections in the industry? I feel like having connections is more important, but can you share your input since you have experience in this? Sure. Uh, yes, I'm verified on a few platforms. L let me just tell you, uh, what these platforms really care about is, um, well, one, uh, are you using the platform how it's intended to be used? They really do care. Are you following their what they call community guidelines and all that stuff. Um, but more so, flat. Frankly, do you have press? Do you have people writing about you? They really care about that. Like legit news outlets writing about you. Um, so, if you're interested in getting verified, uh, this is this is a reason to get press. Um, and you can get press. And then you can submit for verification. It's easy on Instagram. You can just submit. I would submit once a month uh, as you get more press. And TikTok, you need a rep to help you submit for verification. They're, they're, uh, and they need to be recent, legit, 
press about you, uh, not not um, where you're just mentioned or something like that. But I wouldn't really worry about verification, to be honest. It's not make or break. I've seen artists massively successful without being verified. Uh, yeah, it might open a few more doors. It might uh, get you a few more DMs opened or people to pay attention when you comment and stuff like that. So I, I definitely understand uh, the reason for it. Um, so, you know, this might be a reason to work to get some press, uh, if you want to submit for fair verification. Um, but you can get connections without being verified. Um, Maynard from Cupid and the Cowboy, NYC. My new song is killer. I want to pay for PR for the song. We have under 500 followers. Can you recommend or is it worth it or any number of situations or answers are welcome? I want a record deal for the song, radio, airplay, DJs, and playlists. All right, Maynard. First off, uh, we just talked about press. So what PR is, and you say you want to pay for PR for the song. Uh, no, you don't. I'm sorry. Let me tell you. Uh, you don't want to pay for... So PR, you're talking like publicists. Publicists charge between $1,000 and $5,000 a month. Um, yes, a month. Uh, you know, Some will do like a, a EP album campaign for a few thousand dollars. Don't spend that money, especially right now where you're less than 500 followers. You don't... You know, I'm... You, you're just getting started. You don't have a story yet. Um, you don't have anything that PR would help you with. They're, they, they, you know, unless you have something groundbreaking. I'm telling, like, the story is groundbreaking. Like, um, you know, it, it has to be absolutely newsworthy. Like, it, nothing about your music. Because... It needs to be, I, I can't tell you what your story is, but like, it needs to be something that literally everybody, when they read it, will be like, oh my gosh, I need to learn more about this. What is it? What just happened to that person? That's that. Then you could hire a publicist to get that story out and people will pay attention. Publicists are not, most people should not be hiring publicists. Any publicists listening to this, I'm sorry, but it's true. It's a waste of money. Um, for most artists. Now, if you are established and you want to get on late night television, I mean, we're established. I'm talking millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of streams established. Um, you've already done massive tours. Or if you have a massive tour booked, publicists can help you get local press in those in those cities. That's a story. Uh, that's fine too. But uh, just hiring PR right now is not recommended. Now, you can get that, you know, I was saying, well, you're like, well, you just needed press to get verified. Yeah, but it's not worth $10,000 to get verified or whatever. It can be part of it. And you can find, you can get press on your own. Uh, just find, you know, make a list of 20 outlets that you really uh, enjoy reading or that you think would be um, helpful and uh, is is your audience, and then you can find the writers. I mean, it's just a little bit of grunt work and legwork, and uh, you know anyone can do this. Hit up the writers, get to know them, and you can submit to them. Or Submit Hub is out there. If you want to do blog, uh, get blog coverage. You can you can do that as well um, for far less money than what you know uh, a public a publicist would charge. Um, you say you want a record deal for the song. All right. Uh, plug but you should read how to make it in the new music business um 
I got a whole chapter on record labels. Why do you want a record deal for the song? That's the question you should be asking yourself. Why do you want radio airplay? You're not going to get radio airplay unless you um, – they're last to the party. So I, I think I know what you what you really want. Um, but the thing is – is uh, you gotta you gotta follow the steps and go, and go that route yourself. No record label in the world um, is going to sign you right now with less than uh, five hundred with five hundred followers or you know, very few streams right now. That's just kind of how it works. They need something moving. They need action first. You have to create that on your own, whether it's an indie label or a major label. Most aren't really paying attention unless you have something happening. So you have to make something happen on your own first. So sure, we you know we all want partners, whether that's in the form of a record label or manager or whatever. We all want a team. We want people on our team. It's really hard to do this all ourselves. I fully uh, empathize with you. Uh, you can get a team. It can be friends. It can be family. It can be whatever. Whatever team you want, just get some people who are into helping you. Uh, you know, just like who believe in the project. Who like you know work together with them. Yeah, we all want a team. But the way you get that team is you have to make it happen for yourself. First, now it seems like uh, there's a lot of holes right here. I you got. I recommend reading the book. This will lay the groundwork, uh, and uh, you'll understand, um, you know, the steps that you need to take to get a record dealer, to get people to pay attention, to get uh, the le- foundation of where you need to be. Ryan Crary, CEO of Crack the Code LLC from Jacksonville, Florida. Do you need industry quality music? How do I break the gate to get? supervisors and build that relationship industry quality music i'm not sure what you mean by that um i'm i'm assuming yeah competitive uh with industry standards the music that's up to quality yeah industry quality sure um for what i guess is the question is it for i'm assuming you're meaning sync because you mentioned supervisors uh similarly if you're interested in sync uh, Ari's Tech Academy, Advancing Strategies course taught by Vo Williams, uh, the best in the biz. If you want to learn how to break into sync, you got a full course on that. We get our students signed with sync agents. Uh, we got a hundred signed so far with sync agencies um, that help you get your songs. Don't pitch your music to music supervisors anymore. I just, I've interviewed, if you listen to the show, you know I've interviewed a bunch of music supervisors and they're all like, don't send me your music anymore. Um, they need, you should be working with a sync agent or a label or a publisher or something like that. So if you're interested in it, check out uh, Ari's Take Academy and uh, Vo will help you. This one comes from Ninja Nicest award-winning artist and entrepreneur from Brooklyn. All right, Ninja. How much do PRs typically pay in music royalties from video streaming services like Netflix, HBO Max? Uh, good question. Uh, not much, unfortunately. Uh, they they typically pay a lot more for uh, like network television, and that's because the uh, numbers are more public, and you know the PROs can kind of demand. Um, higher fees and they they kind of know uh it, it works now unfortunately the pros ascap bmi etc they deal in what's called black box royalties where we just don't know how much uh people are um paying out or or, or what the calculation is for i should say um they essentially how the pros work is they issue what's called blanket licenses meaning hey netflix uh Based on what we anticipate the usage of the music that we represent that you're going to be using in your shows this year, 
your blanket license for the year is going to cost $10 million or I don't know, you know, then they take that $10 million and they throw it into their black box. That's this box of money that they got. And, and then they do these calculations. They're like, all right, well, Ninja had, uh, their song on a Netflix show, and that Netflix show was seen by 10 million people, which I don't even think they know that information because Netflix doesn't release it. They do on network TV, but whatever. Uh, it was seen by this many people, so you know we're going to pay Ninja uh, like $100 for that or whatever. We just don't know, and so unfortunately... Uh, it's really hard. Vo would probably know better looking at his royalty statements um, on that. I haven't had a song on, on a streaming service. Uh, all mine have been network or cable or something like that. So, um, but it, but it's also challenging because I have had songs uh, on sh- shows that are now have hit streaming services that started on cable or started on network and now they're on you know Hulu or something like that. Um, it's very little. Let me just tell you. From my experience, is very little. Joni from DC. Go into detail on selling music NFTs. Uh, once a song becomes an NFT, what are the ways it can be sold? If it does, if it's sold, does that mean I lose publishing rights and control? Can I not put it on DSPs? Can I still license the song? Who gets the money from me exploiting the song? While I know what cryptocurrency is, what NFTs are, there's not much info on the way music NFTs are sold. Who owns the song? Who can exploit the song and who gets what money from it? Uh, is a music NFT different, a different object compared to the old school sound recording? Okay, great question, Joni. Um, first off, if you're interested in NFTs, listen to my interview with um, Sammy Ariaga. He sold uh, an NFT song for two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. Long story short, no, you don't give up any of your ownership or, or uh, copyright with NFTs. Um, even though it's technically called a certificate of authenticity and like ownership and all that stuff, uh, with NFT songs, uh, and this is written in, you can write this in the own your own contract for the NFT. Um, they uh, are owning the NFT, not the copyright to your recording. Now, you can make that available as part of the NFT that they're buying, but typically. The NFT is separate. Now, when when songs are being sold, quote unquote, as NFTs, um, you know, it's it's evolving daily. Some people are cutting people into royalties. So like you can buy, you know, they might issue 100 uh, NFTs and they all get, um, you know, collectively 1% uh, or, or let's say they, you know, issue 50% royalties split amongst all thousand NFT holders. And so they get actually paid royalties. That's not ownership. They're not, they don't own 1% of the song, but they get, you know, 1% or 10% or whatever of the royalties. People are doing that. If you're interested in that, listen to my episode with uh, Mark Miller from LabelCoin about how fans are investing in uh, songs right now. Um, But long story short is uh, no, most people are not giving up their ownership, uh, copyright ownership with NFTs. They're just giving, uh, selling a certificate of authenticity for uh, that item. You can call it a song, uh, or you know they sell a thousand of them. It's usually a visualized version of the song, um, but it does not deal in ownership by and large. Zach Hughes from Nashville. 
I'm curious how you felt personally after interviewing Sam from Spotify. Whoo! All right, Zach, this is going to be a, a great one to to finish off um, this this uh, part of the episode. And there are so many more questions, and we might have to do a part three as well because there are so many good ones too. I want to get to. Um, first off, I want to thank Sam if he's listening. Um, I thought he offered a a lot of great insight, and Sam's one of the good guys. His heart's in the right place. He cares uh, deeply about artists, uh, about helping artists. Now, that being said, as you can probably tell, yeah, I was I was frustrated that I couldn't get a lot of my questions answered. Um, not necessarily fault of Sam's. Uh, he's not in all the departments of the questions specifically that I was asking for. That's why we're looking to do a part two with the playlist editor from Spotify, uh, because a lot of my questions that he couldn't answer dealt with um, how the playlist plugin system actually works and the playlist editors and how they're actually, um, you know, with 80,000 songs uploaded to Spotify every day. And I don't know how many are being pitched, but like, how are they honestly able to get to all these pitches? And I want to know that information. So, um, yeah, I was very grateful that Sam came on and, um, chatted and, and revealed such great information and it was really helpful to so many artists so thank you sam very grateful for that but personally uh i had so many more questions that i was um i I really wanted answered i still do answered so uh i'm i'm talking with spotify right now about getting another guest from spotify from the uh editorial team to come on and so we can dig into those questions um about that all right we're gonna call it there uh we might have to do a part three on questions because there are so many more but once again if um you have questions get on that email list at ariestake.com i'll answer them or shoot me a, a message uh you can comment on youtube uh all right take care Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.